Welcome to the St. Maud Show. This is our Lost Episode, featuring lost interviews with Jeff and Natalie from the webcomic A Story of Fate. A special Father's Day interview with St. Maud's Papa himself, James Kelly. A lost and rare musical performance and interview from Punchy's Pilot. Now the episode may be lost, but our host is not, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew, the Saint Mort Kelly. All right, everybody. So next episode is the last episode of this season, and then we'll be back in August or September. But before we got to that, we figured we've got all these backup interviews and musical performances that have never aired. So let's just do a commercial-free episode. Yes, that's right. Starting right now, let's go to one of my favorite interviews with a group of people I did on Skype. Uh, Jeff and Natalie, they have an amazing web comic that they call Story of Fate. So let's go to that interview right now. And we're back uh, for our segment today, Skyping with the Stars. We have Jeff and Natalie uh, behind the web comic Worlds Beyond the Grave, The Story of Fate. Uh, thank you for, for calling in, guys. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Um, I, I first found out about your comic actually through Twitter. Uh, I was following you guys on Twitter, and uh, you guys were actually replying to a lot of my tweets. And I was like, well, if they're taking the time to read my tweets, I should take the time to check out their webcomic. And I was really blown away by just how charming it is. It's, um, I, it almost kind of reminds me uh, a little bit of Wally, I guess would be the best thing to, to compare it to <laughs> off the top of my head. I was like, this kind of has that Wally, if it wanted to, it could completely be told without dialogue type story. Um, especially in the first couple episodes of it. And I think that I, I keep telling people, like, you just have to read it. it. It's, it's for a lack of a better word, it's cute. It's adorable. <laughs> like, like it's, this, this alien and a, and a cat like in outer space, it's adorable. Where did you come up with the idea for this, Jeff? Oh, well, first and foremost, we're, we're pretty big fans of adorableness altogether. Um, <laughs> And cats, obviously. We have two cats of our own, and we kind of based our fee character on both of our cats kind of amalgamated together as one super cat, basically. Um, and we kind of had this idea. We were actually inspired originally as the cat character from uh, Simon's Cat, which is a web, a web animation that the guy has online that you should really check out if you, if you like adorableness, for sure. Um, and so from there, we kind of thought, well, here's a project we can do. We had another comic on the way that we were working on, but it was a very serious comic, and it was, it was hard to kind of get into the, the mode of doing things since it was our first comic. So we decided, let's start with something a little simpler. Uh, so we kind of dumbed down the characters in their detail so that we can tell a more epic story without having so much emphasis on the art. And um, so we kind of went from there, and it started off as uh, Fate meeting this cat and uh, kind of growing up. To, to kind of fond of the cat and at the same time Fate's kind of an outcast and so he's kind of thrown into this rebellion in a galactic war that's kind of stemming from his, his past with his family and his people and so from there we just kind of thought well why don't we throw these two into one crazy zany situation and have this cat character kind of be his, his humbler the, the thing that kind of keeps him on the level you know and that's kind of where it came from 
Now, you talked about kind of the minimalistic art style, and that was another one of the things that kind of appealed to me, is that it it kind of has that Johnny the Homicidal Maniac mixed a little bit with a Jeff Smith kind of style in it. Um, Natalie, what are some of your influences on your artwork? Well, uh, definitely Invader Zim. I did watch a lot of that. And I read a few of the comics. And I did read every Kelvin and Hobbes that was ever made, and I absolutely love it. Um, other than that, a lot of manga, actually. And the really overly cute way that they draw all their animals and characters, I just fell in love with it. I uh, definitely want to pay homage to that in my comic. Now, um, is there any other projects outside of the story of Fate that you guys plan to work on? Uh, is there, uh, like, I'm trying to think out of where this would work. Is, is Worlds Beyond the Grave, is that going to be one cohesive story, or are you going to start branching it into other stories from there? Well, we had a couple ideas of taking some of the characters and doing a couple of one-shots, kind of touching on their history and past, but it kind of all ties back to, to Worlds Beyond the Grave, for sure. Um, we do have another project we're working outside of Worlds Beyond the Grave, but it's not so much a comic as it is a web series, which is uh, fourvillains.org, about four end-up supervillains trying to make their way in the world of villainy and, well, just being terrible at it in general. And so that's that's kind of where we're going with that right now. And uh, you can check out the website, 4villains.org, and there's a couple trailers up there. And we're, we're kind of pushing that right now. It's between Worlds Beyond the Grave and that, though. That's kind of our life. Uh, what is... Do you have a uh, release date for the first episode of 4 Villains yet? Yeah, we're, we're looking to release our first 20-minute episode this December or November, depending which which our shoot schedule allows for it. So. And then from there, we'll be releasing subsequent uh, 15, 10, 15-minute 15 uh, episodes twice a month. The first episode will be a full, almost 25 minutes, as it's an intro kind of episode. Now, you are my first guest to be from Canada on, oh. on uh, the podcast. Well, how are you going, eh? <laughs> and I, I have to ask... Is, is it all that uh, SCTV and Scott Pilgrim has made us believe it is, or... <laughs> well, I'm, kinda, I'm actually from back east in Ontario, and then we moved when I was younger to uh, Chilliwack in British Columbia, and then now me and Natalie, we met in high school, we've been together ever since, and uh, coming on, what, 10 years? Yeah. Just after 10 years now? And we moved to Vancouver Island, and you know, best beautiful place in oh, all of Canada. So, by far. so beautiful here. And uh, yeah, we quite love it here. And I think you know, Skull Program did do justice back east for sure. Um, <laughs> so far, I, I've noticed is uh, every Canadian, every every province I've gone to, and we've driven through them all. And everyone's pretty laid back and relaxed. And I think that's kind of the presence that Canada has on the global global world right now. Is everyone kind of sees us as the laid back people? Are you gonna? Uh are you going to with with four villains? It's obviously um, a comedy based on the way that you've explained it to me. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, by far. Is are are we going to be able to look forward to? I mean, are are your obviously no one's influences are distinctly from their their home country, but would would you be able to say like your humor comes from say a group like Kids in the Hall, which? I honestly think was one of the greatest comedy sketch groups of all time. Um, or, or like, where would you draw your comedy influences exactly? Uh, well, for the show especially, and even Worlds Beyond the Grave, I mean, 
we draw them from our, our favorite shows and our influences. We watch a lot of TV. And I'd have to say one of my biggest influences is the Venture Brothers. Um, that's where I get a lot of writing for the show. And uh, from there, Red Dwarf, Monty Python are definitely my favorites. Kids in the Hall, definitely at the top of the list. <laughs> and that's kind of where we're going. And our show is more of a... It's, our, our show encourages fan interaction, too. So our fans will actually be able to star on the show via webcam or have their picture of their character put in the background. And there'll be a social media site tied to it so they can come and blog about their character and their lore and their ideas will actually be taking into the show to kind of grow our world together. So our influences will come from everywhere because all our fans will also be influencing the show as well. Yeah, uh, I've noticed with the world of uh, web shows specifically, the web series is... The series is... is <laughs> um, the, <laughs> with web shows, <laughs> uh, that there is a growing amount of interacting with the audience that I've been seeing. And I remember... I believe the guild did it for one episode, and and it seems cliche to go to the guild every time, but they really <laughs> well, they definitely they, are the staple of yeah, history. Right? They definitely that and Doctor Horrible both kind of showed what you can do with a web show if you really focus on it. Um, but even friends of mine from the website uh, Geekscape that hosts this podcast uh, did a brief web show called um, First Edition, and they would also do ways of interacting with the crowd. And it's a shame that you can't really do that with television. I think more people would watch TV shows if they could find a way to get themselves on it easily. Yeah, sure. Um, Now, you said the first episode is going to be 20 minutes, and that actually kind of shocked me in the sense that, you know, you think your average web series, each episode is maybe six or seven minutes. Are you going to try to do this as a legitimate show? Yeah, it's going to be a full-on legitimate television show. I mean, the first episode will be the longer one as it's kind of a pilot. And after that, what we're going to do is release each episode cut in half. So you get two 15-minute episodes in a month. That's actually technically one episode. That way we have the content more more than just once a month. And, yeah, we're definitely going for that whole show feel. And, and touching on the whole, you know, television industry and how, how they wish they could interact, that's partly why we did this show is because we kind of think that Hollywood's failing in that in that respect. They're trying to fight the piracy and the, the free internet, and uh, they're trying to force people into time slots and have shows be canceled because of that, and all these issues that rise up with having network television. So we figured, why not put something free online and let the fans decide whether it's good or not, and that will be the driving force to whether or not it survives and makes it, and that's kind of what kind of made us decide, well, let's do our own show and kind of show the world that, you know, interactivity, video games are kind of leading the industry. Why not do that with television? Let's get everybody involved. And... You know, it sounds like your show's premise works well with... It's easy to get people to submit videos like that. Um, Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, first edition's pitch and the guild's pitch both worked, too, where it was, you know, first edition was, hey, we need a a cop... You know, we need an artist for this comic book. And then people would post on YouTube their applications, and they would take their favorite ones and throw it in the episode. Or the guild did, we need someone to join our guild, and... I mean, doing yeah. a show about villains gives people even more creativity to sit down and create origin stories and create character traits. And would you, you sure? let, let's throw this out there. If you got a good character submission from someone who lived near you guys, would it be completely unreasonable that you would say, you know what, let's just make this character a full time character and see if they're interested? Oh, definitely. That's a big thing is we want to encourage people to really get their characters made. 
Uh, a big part of it, especially, is that when you sign up to our, our social media site, which is based on supervillains, you actually create a character there, and you can blog and everything. You earn points, which puts you on the leaderboards. Then all the other fans have to choose who's the best, and then they get to star in a show on webcam. Well, if you're local and nearby, we'll throw you in and live in person, too. And on top of that, we want to make a collectible card game that you can play based on our, our entire world, where if people play our card game and are on our site frequently, they can also have cards made of their characters that other people can collect and play against each other. So it's kind of a whole collaborative thing from the show and the game is what we're trying to push. Because honestly, like I said, the more people that interact with something, the more that everyone feels a part of it, the more it becomes its own entity and you know becomes something everyone can be proud of. Now, are you guys going to um, start coming maybe into the States a bit for the conventions? It seems like this is... It seems like if you could get a booth at, say, San Diego Comic-Con, you'd be hitting your bread and butter of the people who would oh, be involved definitely. in this. <laughs> yeah, we, definitely, we definitely know we're, we're catering to a niche market. Uh, we, also, we also like the fact that comic books are coming mainstream. I mean, look at all the movies that are coming out that are comic book-based. They're finally being tapped for the, for the amazing creative resource they are. And we definitely, like, part of our budgeting that we're looking into, because we're trying to get a bit of funding or not, is definitely a, a cater to us being able to fly out to these conventions and meet and greet our fans in person, in fact, in character, in full costume, and get them to know us as our characters, as well as the people behind the film, you know? Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for coming by, guys. The website is worldsbeyondthegrave.com and for the number four villains.org, correct? Correct, yeah. All right. Uh, guys, go out and check out their sites. Um, I can speak from experience that Worlds Beyond the Grave is incredible. Everything I'm hearing about Four Villains sounds incredible. So you guys are definitely two people that everyone should be looking out for. I think you guys got a large possibility out there with creativity. You know what you're doing, and I'm really excited to see what comes from Four Villains. And come back on the show in December uh, when the first episode launches, and we'll just talk about that with the cast. Sounds great, and we'll have to get you uh, to make a villain and maybe make a little guest appearance. <laughs> I don't have the money to come to Canada just yet, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> awesome, sounds great. Well, nice talking with you, man. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back right after this commercial break. Commercial break, fuck that. I already said that this was going to be a commercial-free episode. The next interview is a special Father's Day treat, which is sad because it's coming up the day after Father's Day. But it is an interview with my own father, uh, much like how I did a Mother's Day interview with my mom. Uh, this was recorded a couple weeks ago, so it is definitely... Uh, I do make mention to next week being Father's Day in it. So if you're listening to this and saying, oh man, I've got another week to get my dad a Father's Day gift, uh, you would be wrong. And we're back. Uh, as a Father's Day special, the next guest on the show is none other than my, I hope only father, James Kelly. How you doing, Matt? How you doing, Dad? Now, when I was a kid, your favorite game was Guess Who Your Real Dad Is. <laughs> and you would uh, pick whatever uncle I was the least fan of at the time. Sometimes it was Uncle Mark. If Uncle Craig was being specifically mad at me, uh, you know, cruel to me, you would say it was Uncle Craig. Never fessing up to the fact <laughs> that I was your son. <laughs> Why? I'm still not sure. <laughs> now... Uh, for Mother's Day, I had Mom in the studio, and she came in, and we talked. And she told me the story of how she met you. I want to hear the story of how you met her to see if the stories actually match up, because her story made it sound like she was a little bit of a whore. Uh, we met, uh, let's see, uh, at a bar, getting ready to go in together with a group of guys. 
on a shore house and her boyfriend at the time was going in on this place so then we spent a summer together down in uh, Seattle, New Jersey. That's where we met. And um, you you made her leave this guy for, for you? The, the power of Jim Kelly won her over? Of course. Now, tell me a little bit about what it was like uh, raising me as, as your first child. Uh, it was difficult. I had to change a lot of my ways. I kind of was a... Uh, Got to like to have a good time and party and come in all hours. And um, even through having you, I slowed up, but I didn't stop for a couple years after that. Um, and it probably straightened my life out. Well, that's good. That's good. Now, what are some of your uh, fondest memories of hanging out with, with young me? I know you have a particular baseball story you're extremely fond of. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I knew you weren't going to be an athlete when I signed <laughs> you up. And uh, wait, wait, how did you know I wasn't going to be an athlete? Um, because uh, you really didn't pay attention too well in uh, baseball. Uh, you were an okay hitter till we found out your eyesight went bad. But um, besides, in the field, you were just—we were just nervous every time you would get moved into the infield. And um, luckily, they were using it looked like a hard ball, but it was. It was like a softball that bounced pretty easily, and you were playing shortstop, and you were writing your name in the sand, which you normally did, or drawings, and somebody hit the ball to you. And when I yelled your name, it was almost perfect timing that the uh, ball hit the ground, and as you lifted up your head, it went completely over your head, and nobody else, you didn't even see the ball coming. Everybody in the stands and stuff were laughing, and you didn't know what it was about. <laughs> Despite the fact, though, that you knew I wasn't going to be an athlete, you tried your darndest to make sure that I played every sport that the uh, community had to offer. I played some basketball, some soccer, a lot of baseball. I think you knew better than to put me in football or hockey. <laughs> yeah, and you tried swimming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The first meet, I knew you weren't a swimmer. I thought you were going to drown and you couldn't stay in your lane and stuff. But at least you gave it an effort. And, I got uh, disqualified three times in my first <laughs> swim match. And then they never had me competitively <laughs> swim again until I quit. <laughs> now, I guess I didn't get to talk to mom too much about this because at the time it was still a couple months away. But, you know, now here we are. Uh, it's Father's Day episode. Next week's Father's Day, and then in about two weeks, I will be moving and moving for for real, as opposed to when I got an apartment with my friends twenty minutes away. I'm going to be moving to the other side of the country. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, how does how do you feel about about that? Uh, well, I'm going to miss you, but I'll be glad. Yeah, you're following your dreams. So, yeah, I wish you luck, and you have friends out there. So. I think you'll do okay. Now, tell us a little bit about Jim Kelly, The Bachelor, from uh, your high school days, because I've heard some ridiculous stories of you and your friends throughout high school car accidents, driving, you know, road trips, stiffing bills at diners. <laughs> They're all lies. <laughs> Because you were the um, one that told me those stories. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely were lies. <laughs> um, 
No, I was not a bad, bad kid, but we got into some trouble. Um, uh, like, I don't know if schools around the United States, they have, like, uh, senior pranks we did back in the 70s. And it was just, like, mischief. Like, they were released Super Bowls, super glue doors shut, um, no different things. And uh, I decided to kidnap one of the teachers. And it, 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 he lived in a, he was renting a place next to a um, um, florist. And me and two of my buddies, we, we had changed of clothes. We had stockings on our face and we were waiting for him to come out to jump him and then tie him up in his own house. Um, my one friend, when he got the panties to put over his face, his pantyhose, I think he must have pulled him out of the dirty laundry because he said he couldn't breathe and it stunk. So he had to lift it up, and the guy, the teacher recognized him. But in the meantime, he thought we were breaking into the florist and called the cops. So um, we got in a little bit of trouble for that, but we were allowed to graduate with the class and everything, so it wasn't too bad. Now, people who meet you say, specifically for my circle of friends, all say the same thing, which is... Uh, both of them? <laughs> Uh, they, they'll, they'll say meeting your dad helps to understand why you are the way you are, but you are the complete opposite of your father in every single way. Uh, do you think that that's true? And, and if so, how do you feel about that? Well, I, good. Maybe you'll succeed at something. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think you were different and that was fine. And, um, but I see some of my influences rubbed off on you, whether that's good or bad. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I mean, you want everybody to be their own person, and I have four kids, and you're all different, but, yeah, you're all good. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave Brian out. <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> so, I just went blank. Uh, I'm going to definitely have to go through this and edit it. I had a question, and I just lost it. <coughs> How are we? Are we different? Oh. <clears throat> so, one of my favorite moments, and it was probably one of the moments that you and I were the closest, was when I was a kid, and you had bought me a Super Nintendo, and you bought the game Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. And I think you may have been more addicted to the game than even I was. And you would play and then brag to me how many more hearts your your Zelda had than mine. And what castle you were at versus mine. And I'll never forget one day coming home from school and being greeted with you wearing what looked like was the clothes that you had slept in the night previously. And going... I finally beat the the final boss in Legend of Zelda. And I was like, that's awesome. And then you put your hand on my shoulder and you said, I paused the game so we can watch the ending together. <laughs> yeah, I, I did get addicted. I was actually <laughs> laid off at that time. And I don't think your mother was too happy because I was spending more time doing that than looking for a job. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was your, your Uncle Craig motivated me because... He's a little bit older than me, and he said that 
you could never beat it because I was in my, I guess, 30s. And he said, your reflexes are too, you know, slow. And his kids are the only ones that could beat it. So, you know, we proved them wrong. (laughs) And you were never one to get super addicted to games. But every once in a while, I remember the original Mario Brothers, you got pretty addicted to when we had the old NES. I remember you and your buddy Robbie sitting down and just playing the game for hours. And uh, getting you actually screamed at Brian. Because you had gotten really far, I think you were. Yeah, I, right. I you got like in like the tw- level like twenties right. area, and you would pause the game to go do something with Rob. And in the five minutes you were gone, uh, Brian, who was only like two or three at the time, hit the reset button on the Nintendo, <laughs> and you you went ballistic. Uh, we just couldn't believe it. We you know we were playing the game and we were going against each other and. I was doing well, and I told Brian, don't touch anything. We'll be right back. And Brian being Brian, probably as soon as we left the room, went over and hit the <laughs> restart. And yeah, but I never did beat that game, I guess. So maybe I'll start that up next. <laughs> if you get laid off again. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there's a lot of movies. You, you are the person who introduced me to Star Wars. And... Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of things. There, there was someone who once told me that despite what anybody says, everyone has a little bit of, of geekiness right. in them. And I think Star Wars was definitely your geekiness because I, I could tell at the time it didn't really – I didn't notice it. But, like, growing up, like, you're still that guy who, who remembers a lot of the Han Solo quotes and a lot of – you know, beyond just like Luke used the force, like you're that one that remembers random dialogue from that movie. And Jason the Argonauts is another one that you remember a lot of dialogue from the movie. Was that the type of, I never really, what type of movies did you used to watch as a kid? Were you really a sci-fi geek that much or were you just kind of caught up in the Star Wars mania? I think it was more caught up in the Star Wars mania. Yeah, I have a real eclectic um with movies, you know, yeah. I, I'm not sold on one type. Uh, I, you know me, I like to laugh. So you're the only person I know who owns Larry the Cable Guy, the health inspector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you probably bought it for me out of the bargain. <laughs> it was a good but, gift for you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, the times were different growing up. You know, I mean, it was big when somebody got a uh, color TV. Yeah. yeah, your uncle did, and we used to go over there and. I can remember the first like kind of cartoon I seen was Johnny Quest, and it was you know kind of neat. And I actually come you know watch him when I got older. It was, yeah. um, I remember and, you watch, making me watch Johnny Quest yeah. as well. There and, was, a, I also remember we used to watch Mystery Science Theater three thousand a lot. Right. When that you you were a big fan. Yeah. Of that well, show. It was, it was funny. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> you know the the corny movies and we even talked. I remember as a uh, little kid, my dad taking me to the Batman one. <laughs> and even with the shark jumping out of <laughs> on him from the helicopter. And it's just so you know funny how bad those movies were when you look <laughs> at some of them. And then you can look at Jason and the Argonauts and say, man, that was really done Jason, well. Jason yeah. and the Argonauts is still well made by today's standards. I, th- yeah. I think some of the claymation in that movie looks better than some of the CGI effects. In, it, in some ways, the CGI effects look cheesier than... Than the claymation, because you can tell how much hard work and detail went into those. Yes, 
I agree. Um, and I, ahead of its time. That was yes. the quote yeah. that you used to always say. <laughs> Matt, you got to watch this movie. It's ahead of its time. That's right, and it was. You also were technically the person that introduced me to tits. <laughs> because I would have birthday sleepovers, and one day you said, let me... Let me pick the movies for this one. Uh, and you picked us Porky's and Heaven Help Us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's how you first became Cool Dad. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, I think I have to correct you. I think your mom introduced you to tits. Uh, was I breastfed? <laughs> <laughs> I never for, knew that. So, Yeah, for a little while. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I didn't like them. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been great to have you in the studio, Dad. All right. Happy, you. happy Father's Day. Thank you, bud. And you I know, guess I'll, this is my gift. This is your gift. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I'll at least be able to call you for your birthday this year. Yeah. But and likewise, I'll be able to call you. Yeah. I won't be here for my birthday this year. How do you feel about that? The first birthday that you won't have me around for my own birthday. Yeah, it's sad. Maybe I'll come out and see you. Maybe I'll maybe I'll be able to find a nice hotel. For you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back after this commercial break. All right. Once again, no commercials. All right, it's time for the final interview. It's the musical guest, um, one of my close friends, Punchy's Pilot. Uh, hey, he's written music for multiple projects that I've asked him to do, including the upcoming musicians celebrate Jim Henson project. Uh, so now, here he is to perform his song, If I, just before we go to the interview. If I, if I, if I, if I could do the things I wanted to, Thank you. 
All right, well, thank you for that, Tom. Uh, the band, quote-unquote, is called uh, Punchy's Pilot. Yeah. Uh, now, where did you come up with that name? Well, it's it's an allusion to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who uh, ordered the execution of Jesus. Um, it was something I just thought of that was uh, kind of alliterative and whimsical. I had a, I had a name before, uh, the Ghosts, which uh, I liked, but it was a little too vanilla. And also, I, there were a lot of bands at that time. This is, I don't know, maybe two thousand. Yeah. A lot of bands with this. The and then some some plural noun, the uh, vines, the strokes, the, the highs, white stripes, yeah. and I thought ah, maybe it's good to get away from this the title, and uh, yeah I don't know if uh, maybe partially inspired in the deep recesses of my mind by uh, Life of Brian or <laughs> uh, something like that. Well, but, uh, I recall I recall working at a uh, a hippie shop. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, circa 2004-2005 and I just started booking shows which is how I know you Yeah. and uh, a friend came into the store and was like dude I was searching online I found this band called The Ghosts and I got this song called Louisville Slugger and it's about killing <laughs> child molesters and he burnt me a copy of that song in Chinese Lantern and then um, I booked you for a show maybe a year later yeah and I was like, man, this guy knows who the ghosts are. Like, it didn't even, like, dawn on me that you could possibly be the per the same person, yeah. even though you did two note-for-note -note covers of songs yeah. by the ghosts. <laughs> and I, I w walked up to him and was like, I, I'm a big fan of the ghosts. I can't believe you know who they are. And you were like, I am the ghosts. Yeah. You know, it's funny. There's there's a little more depth to that to that coincidence. Um, I distributed those by, by, by burning a bunch of CDs and then just leaving them in a pile uh, in a bar called Doc Watson's where I used to go see shows. I used to see uh, The Teeth who are no longer together and uh, I saw Dr. Dog in one of their previous incarnations there <laughs> and uh, Bishop Allen. This place later got shut down for serving minors. But I used to go see shows there and I thought, well, why not you know, make a bunch of CDs and just leave them in a pile. People will take them. Bishop and, Allen, uh, seems like Bishop Allen fans seem like the right fans to be slinging that type of genre towards <laughs> yeah yeah i actually saw their first show in philly which was at doc watson's see i saw them i never heard of them until a friend of mine sent me a link and they were like you gotta check out this song yeah and like i promise you it's the catchiest song you're ever gonna hear and it was uh news from your bed oh okay. off the broken string cd all right and i was like this is amazing and then i went out and bought everything that they had done yeah yeah and it, they are, especially for it's just two guys for the most part. I mean, They're they the tour with a band. They, yeah, yeah. They, they've rotated through uh, a couple of different people. They had two girls, and then they had um, maybe a girl and a guy. I'm not sure. They usually try and have a girl in the band for some vocals, I yeah. think. But just, I uh, mean, the, the compositions that they do are so pretty. So, yeah. just so interesting and different. So, I can definitely see, you know, the layers of instruments and one of the things they do that i find you do a lot in your music is actually taking two instruments that shouldn't be together in a song <laughs> and putting them together i know that on broken string there's a song called butterfly net i love that song that's just ukulele and alka alto alto saxophone which yeah, is just yeah, such yeah, like yeah. a random combination yeah but it works uh -huh. it works wonderfully for them and you know you you combine stuff like slide whistles and <laughs> what I thought was a pipe organ until you told yeah. me it was empty bottles. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I, I um, 
a friend of mine, a friend of mine, jokingly uh, referred to that section of the song as uh, "and in comes the clown parade." <laughs> <laughs> it does though. It gives you that, that yeah, it's, image. Yeah, there's something. I I was I was fooling around with that, and and this is something I sometimes do. I mean. You, with with the slide whistle I had, it's just a, a children's toy piece yeah. of plastic. It was very difficult to repeat anything, so essentially I just did a, a number of takes and chose two to lay next to each other. <laughs> but I was that was a lot of fun. And actually, I think I've been digging up my old Pink Floyd and nice. listening to that recently. And I think uh, I think that might have been inspired by the the musical break in Corporal Clegg. I don't know if you know that song. I'm not familiar with. I, I know a few. Someone just. It has, it has a break that's got a kazoo and, and it's very See, circusy. Here's the thing: all I ever really knew of Pink Floyd until recently was just like you know, all in all, another brick in the wall. And, yeah. And these songs that are that are cool, but they're just kind of regular yeah, the radio songs. They're just yeah. regular classic rock songs. And then my friend told me download the song "The Trial." Yeah. And I downloaded that song and I was like, oh, this is what Pink Floyd can sound like. And then I finally understood yeah. why they were a band that was categorized with bands like. Rush, because <laughs> yeah. in my mind I was always like, oh, they're like Led Zeppelin. Like I just yeah. kind of threw them in that same category. I'm like, oh no, there's a lot more of a prog rock thing going with it's, what they do. It's funny you <laughs> say that. I had a discussion with someone once about that, and I wasn't, I, I didn't really understand what prog rock was, and uh, she was saying, well, you know, like Rush, it sort of, it tends to have a theme, and uh, she was a fan of Pink Floyd. She said Pink Floyd would be considered by some to be prog rock. So, yeah, you know, animals. I guess I the can album. sort of see that. Yeah, the animals album and right. stuff like There's that. There's a whole theme to it. Well, that's even. Um, it's I don't know. It's weird to describe because the first time I had heard it, the first time I had heard the phrase was in reference to the band Genesis. Oh, so yeah. I just assumed it was like oh, lots of keyboard rock right, right. from the '80s. Like that's just what I yeah. assumed it was. Like and then I was like, oh, no, there's more to it. Because then, you know, you start hearing like, oh, well, Primus is like the prog rock metal band. And like, <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's genres are weird because. Yeah, the genres are very tricky. There's so many definitions like, like indie rock is the one that drives me up a wall because <laughs> to yeah, me, what does that mean? to me, indie, there is a sound that I go, oh, that's indie rock. But yeah. indie rock supposed to be independent rock. Right. And you look at a band like The Shins now, who sure. aren't really an independent band, but they're still an indie rock band, and then it's right, like, well, what? Right. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, as 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 a musician yourself, I'm sure you, you've you struggled with the question of, oh, what do you sound like? What's just, your sound? I just say geek rock. That's what yeah. I start to describe myself as. Uh, right on. Or talentlessness. That's the other one. <laughs> um, now... You just graduated college. Did you graduate for anything with music, or no? I I, I toyed with the idea of studying music uh, at my second college, but in this my third attempt at Drexel, <laughs> I decided I really need to do something vocational. I studied chemical engineering, uh, well, very uh, very sciencey, opposite of music. Uh, yeah, well, one would assume. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> actually uh, when I was first looking for colleges with my parents, we were going on a, a, a tour of Franklin and Marshall, and um, I was going to study chemistry at that time, mm-hmm. and my parents mentioned that to the person who was, uh, I think it was affiliated with the chemistry department and giving us the tour, and he said that, that it's, it's, more, it's more common than you would expect, and there's a mathematical relationship between them. There's some, there, music is much like uh, mathematics, and everything is, is completely malleable, yet also cast in stone, relationships of intervals and chords, triads dissonance things like that are all very i don't know as as 
part of nature is a carbon atom or fusion in the sun. And you'd imagine, I'd imagine that that type of knowledge would explain why I find that more musicians tend to enjoy the music of your, your enjoy your music than yeah. if you play it for just any sure. old kid on the street because they can hear the the many layers of yeah. of stuff going on in those songs. Because for the most part, it's all recorded just by you. Yeah, it's recorded. It's recorded one track at a time. I usually start with. Uh, Actually, I almost always start with drums because they're the hardest thing to do last. Like once you have the, the, the drum beat, everything else is built off of that. So I usually do a drum beat first, then guitar, and layer stuff in. Do you do at least a scratch track with the guitar so that you know, or do you just kind of sit down do with the drums? Do drums first. I will actually do, de- de- depend, depending on the song, I will do, I will do a straight, just uh, depending on what time, what time the song's in, 3-4, 4-4, four, four, four. I'll just do a straight beat just to keep everything together and once everything's finished i can i can listen to that beat and and with that backbone build the beat that i had wanted so really it's it's a way to keep everything in proper time because my my style of guitar playing is i i I like to swing notes i like to come in I don't know different ways. You really can't you can't put drums on top of guitar or i can't anyway. Do you have a very um I guess I would call it like a rockabilly, but on an acoustic guitar kind of style to guitar playing, where it is very uh, chaotic, right on. But but simplistic, like yeah, like I'm trying to think of how to word it, but that's you know, yeah, it's, I think it's I know very it's very cut and dry because it's an acoustic guitar, and you're kind of limited on yeah. reverb and, and stuff sure, like that. Sure. But you try to play it as if you were say Brian Setzer, <laughs> <laughs> and it gives it a very unique style. I oh, think cool. um, there's definitely a almost 50s throwback sound to a lot of the stuff that you do well i'll tell you what I, i'm definitely uh it's definitely always trying to be jangly i love the <laughs> jangliness well that's like i i think one of the thing that, things that um i like about lo-fi and you were talking about trying to stay away from the the bands yeah from the 2000s but at the same time you have you had to appreciate that it was a movement of music where a bunch of groups said no we're just going to do this the way that they were doing it yeah. 30 years ago, because why not do something that was working so well back yeah. then? Um, and I think that's what, you know, obviously that's not how you do it, because it's you doing all the instruments, right, but it right. has that vibe of just like, if if you had a backup band, I yeah. don't doubt for a second that you would just put a microphone in the middle of the room yeah. and just say like, all right, guys, one, two, three, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever came out, that was the song. Like, yeah. I've, I've recorded stuff that way, mostly... Mostly for scratch tracks, but it's uh, it's um, I, I I dig the lo-fi movement. Yeah. I, I um I love I love digital because magnetic tape is so finicky. I can't <laughs> I can't quite tolerate that level of lo-fi, I guess. But I, I I love the idea of creating a sound by by placing the microphone at the other end of the room. Yeah. And and letting there be air and chairs and a staircase and a and a dusty broom between between the sound and uh, its destination. Well, thank you so much for coming by, Tom. My pleasure. Uh, we will be back in about two weeks. So, Chico's Vibe, play us out.